0: happy jimmy got on the board yay jimmy (laughs) thanks for working early um we're gonna welcome jamie with us he's one of our mission partners here at hillcrest so could you please give him the biggest welcome as he comes this morning good morning So, as you can tell from the title of the message, this is a Christmas sermon. Uh, When I was first asked uh, a few weeks ago, or I think it was actually November, to share this morning and notice it was December 27th, I thought, this is tricky, maybe even a little bit dangerous, because there's probably a few of us out there that spent yesterday taking down the Christmas lights, maybe throwing our tree away immediately. And so I was thinking for those people that would do such things, uh, an Easter sermon might be more appropriate today than a Christmas one since Christmas is two days past. But for the rest of us, dare I say the normal ones among us, we know that it's legal in most states to listen to Christmas music until at least New Year's. And so we're going to just try this morning to ignore any whispered anathema and persevere. So with the reflective contemplative mood of the season of Advent and Christmas, I took the liberty afforded by this special time of year to try something creative by way of of method for our time together this morning. So I will be remembering and sharing some of our Christmas writings and reflections taken from our past 20 years of ministry among the Persian peoples Uh, But before I begin in on those uh, remembrances and writings from those 20 years among the Persians, I thought that it would be important to give you some context about who we are and some of the places especially so chronologically you'll be able to follow along. Uh, So let me introduce our family and our work. Uh, So here's the family, they're actually here this service. Um, and, um, my wife, Ashley and I actually grew up here locally. We had friends that went to Hillcrest. And so a few times we even, uh, spent time at, with the youth group here at the church and we, and still have, know a lot of families, uh, that call Hillcrest home. Um, we, Ashley and I met at Kansas city Christian school, which you will know is just down the street. And so our kids, because we've actually moved back after these 20 years away, uh, and so we've moved back, and this is their second year of school at Kansas City Christian. And so we have Asia, who is a senior this year at KCC, uh, Judah, who's in eighth grade, and our youngest, River, who is in first. So you might be wondering at this point, what are Persians? Um, And I know that can be confusing. And so if you remember a little bit of world history, there used to be this great empire, the Persian Empire, and it did expand pretty much everywhere and contended with the Roman. But the heartland was always what we know today as modern-day Iran, Afghanistan, and our first location, Tajikistan. And so these are still Persian countries that, that speak Persian languages and follow Persian cultures and traditions. And so this is where we have been focused uh, the last 20 years in sharing the gospel and doing church planting. Uh, so specifically um, over these four, over these 20 years, we've been in four different locations. So the first one was Tajikistan. We were an hour... Uh, our city was an hour north of the Afghanistan border. Uh, that was where we got our feet wet in church planting among the Persian people in a place that it had never had a visible church that we could uh, find from their history. And so it was with great joy even in 2008 when we were deported from the country because there was a visible church. And that church continues to meet and share the gospel, and I don't have time to go into it, but there's been many different exciting things, developments um, in the church in Tajikistan, even since we've left. Um, And thanks to WhatsApp and other things like that, I can pretty much talk with our Persian, our Tajik uh, friends, believer friends, and also still our seeker friends whenever I I want to. But for us, in 2008, um, we were asked to leave, and so we ended up in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, we served in Istanbul, Turkey, primarily among the Afghans and the Iranians, which was a little bit new for us, but very similar linguistically and culturally. Uh, so we served there in Istanbul among them for four years. We, we helped start an Iranian church during those time, those years in Istanbul that was called uh, Kilusoye Mujde, which means good news in Farsi. And uh, we were actually back in Istanbul as a family to visit um, the church two years ago. And they were running, uh, I think, close to 200 uh, Persian believers on a typical Sunday. So praise God that they continue to serve. Um, But we actually moved on from Istanbul And we moved to Los Angeles. If you're wondering why did we move to L.A., it's because L.A. has a nickname, Teherangelis. And uh, it's appropriate because there's close to a million Persians, especially Iranians, that call the greater Los Angeles area home. And so in L.A., I was pastoring an Afghan church. uh, And then alongside of Pastor Ara Tarosian, uh, I also had the joy of seeing an Iranian church established called Fais, which is Grace in Farsi and this year has been particularly challenging in LA to meet but they continue to be a church together and they even celebrated recently two uh, more baptisms um, which was so it's a joy to get to, to, to see them continue on um, in service but we moved back to Kansas City about a year and a half ago now, and so um, I'm still in Persian ministry full-time. This year, the the main uh, focus has been online sorts of ministries, uh, especially on Zoom, but also other forms of social media. It really works as sort of a funnel of interest, and so... Whereas even locally, I'm trying to find people that are willing to discuss the gospel online. The reason that they're joining the group is because they want to talk about Jesus, which is nice. And so the highlight this year, I think for me, the best group, the most encouraging group, has been one that we've done on Wednesdays with about 20 to 30 Afghan believers on a typical Wednesday. And we've been studying through the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 9, myself and two Afghan pastors, one of them located in California and the other one in Istanbul. So I've also gotten to become very good friends with them, which has been an added bonus. And we just celebrated Christmas together for four weeks of Advent. And it was really interesting to hear from. I think uh, this last week we gave opportunity for all of the Afghan believers to share a testimony or something that was meaningful for them about Christmas. And so for six of them, I learned this was the first year that they had ever celebrated Christmas. And so it was beautiful to kind of um, see Christmas through new eyes, um, through their excitement and joy at being able to celebrate this season for the first time. Uh, I wanted to mention, because as as you'll see as I move forward forward this morning, there is um, elements of darkness uh, because of the places that we've served, often being in communities that are over 99% Muslim, um, calling those our neighborhoods. And so there's there's a focus on the darkness and the light expanding into these places. Um, But I, right at the outset, wanted also to um, make sure that you were aware that the light of the gospel is expanding in our lifetimes, and it's really unprecedented. Um, I'm not sure if I asked you the question, what is the uh, fastest-growing church in the world, if you would know, uh, but uh, statistically at 19.6% per year growth, is the Iranian church. And it's to the point that most people uh, believe, even conservative estimates, that probably over 1% of the population of Iran professes faith in Christ. It's a movement that is happening during our lifetime. And of course, dealing with the diaspora communities, we've also seen this. And so I don't want you to lose track of the light and the glory of God expanding, even though some of the things that I share this morning are a little bit um, focused on the need and the darkness. Um, so I think hopefully with that adequate context, we're ready to begin to speak about this darkness and our response and the, the growing light. So again, what I have done to prepare for this morning is to go back over our correspondence from these various locations from Tajikistan and Turkey and Los Angeles, specifically searching for the things that we wrote over the years during Christmases in these places. And so following a chronological progression through our various locations, as well as God's movements in scripture among the Persians, I'd like to begin to trace the progress of Christmas light among them. Primarily, this morning, we will focus on our experiences among them, but you will notice my attempts throughout to touch on God's eternal work as well. So this morning, as I read through these various passages, it'll be a, bit, a little bit like a, a story format, a little bit more meditative, which I hope is appropriate for this time of year. Uh, so just, I encourage you to reflect on the hope, but also the responsibilities of Christmas because we have been given the light of the world. So within that, with all of that in mind, we'll proceed um, in this way. Uh, First, I will be talking about uh, ancient glimmers, Persians in scripture. This will be very inadequate, but it will give a glimpse at how God faithfully has been working among the Persians uh, from all over scripture from the very beginning. Um, Then I'll move on to discussing darkness, Tajikistan, shadows, Istanbul, expanding light, Los Angeles, and wrapping up with radiating glory, our high calling to shine. And I'm going to try to do a good job of saying quote and end quote as I go through so that you won't get too confused with what are actually uh, reflections and writings from our past in these places versus my commentary that I've added um, recently so that I could share this morning. So let's pray and we'll get started. Dear Lord, we're just so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for the light of Christmas. We're so grateful that we have been uh, given the gospel, the light of the world, um, to shine. And I pray that we would, and I pray that you would help everything that I say this morning uh, to be blessed so that it would be For your glory, I pray that we would be an overflowing uh, community of believers, of disciples, so that we could share this good news um, this coming year and for the rest of our lives until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So ancient glimmers, Persians in scripture, often winter, It seems the fragile lights of Christmas will be overwhelmed, that darkness will win, but it is never about the darkness. Christmas is about light, his victorious, inevitable, ever-expanding light among us, among the Persians, among all peoples. As the Gospel of John says, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaking, "'I am the light of the world. "'He who follows me will not walk in the darkness.'" But we'll have the light of life." John chapter one, verse five. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Often when I share the gospel with Persians, they're surprised to see how prominent their people have been in the pages of the Bible. In Acts chapter two, for example, from the list of peoples present as Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit preaches on Pentecost, we see Persians in the crowd. Present and participating on the very day the church is born, which is why I believe the Persian church has the same birthday as the church age itself. And to begin to understand why the Elamites and other Persians are there in Jerusalem on Pentecost is to remember a story reminiscent of that of Joseph, of curses becoming blessings through the providence of God, of God orchestrating across the centuries through people like Daniel and King Cyrus or the wise men to build his church. So though I don't have time to explore the theme in depth, I think it's important to stop for just a moment and marvel at God's mysterious plan such that the first time the light of the gospel was proclaimed, Persians were there to experience it. Darkness, Tajikistan. Sometimes the darkness is internal, it's things that we are bringing um, that is, you know, making the spread of the gospel light more difficult. And so both, of course, both my wife Ashley and I have struggled mightily as the Lord has used Tajikistan and really all of our locations to mold and sanctify us. Um, but And I have, of course, many examples about internal darkness within myself. Um, but I have found this one that Ashley wrote over A Christmas in Tajikistan. And so with her permission, I will share and read it for you as a reminder that there is nothing special about us. It is about God and his power to change us, to slowly transform our inner darkness to light by the power of the Holy Spirit, to order our affections rightly so that we all eventually will glow for him, glow for him everywhere we go. That is the important thing for all of us wherever we are placed to obey our Lord. So this is Ashley writing from Kulab, Tajikistan, a few years into our Tajikistan experience christmas of 2005 quote if there's something that i want to thank god for during this holiday season it is that he has changed me who i was even two years ago and who i am today well i'm a different person two years ago while we were raising support to come here a teammate told me all i want to do is study the bible with tajik women i thought not me i have no desire to do that at all But for some reason, God is calling me here, and so I'm obeying him, and we're ready to go. It was a very strange place to be in my life, but I've learned that obedience to the Lord brings rewards. He has turned my heart around 180 degrees, and now I want to study the Bible with Tajik women. That in itself is a testimony to God's power and grace in my life. I just kept trusting in him, and he never gave up on me. I want to share the good news with Tajiks, and if you don't think that's a miracle, then it's because you couldn't see inside my heart the first time we were here or even two years ago. I want to praise the Lord this Christmas season for sending his son to die for my sins and for giving me more grace than I will ever deserve. If you ask the Lord to change your heart and then you trust in him and follow him, he will do it. My life is a living proof of that. But, of course, sometimes the darkness is external. And so here is something that I wrote in Tajikistan two years later, Christmas of 2007, which incidentally was just a few months before our team was deported uh, from the country. So, quote, Isaiah chapter 16, chapter 60, verses 2 and 3. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. In Tajikistan, there is, of course, nothing to remind one that Christmas approaches While it is beautiful to experience the deep sacredness of the season without the slightest sounds of commercialism or triviality, and while it is nice to finally have a Christmas time without being in a mental state of information and sensory overload where nothing worth considering can truly be considered, it is predominantly sad because as Christmas nears and there is not the slightest inclination of the forthcoming holy night, we have an overwhelmingly solemn sense of why we are here." Our Christmas outreaches, our tiny kindnesses to the poor, our sowing of gospel seed upon the frozen soil seem so small against the backdrop of this nation. And at this point, I go into a long uh, explanation of how brutal that particular winter was. It was one of the worst that Tajikistan had experienced for quite some time. And so people were literally dying around us. As I conclude in this way, The city's electricity off, the cold descending, there in our Tajik apartment, there in the deep darkness, I wondered when the nations would come to his light. Waiting there, I wished I could reach up into the cold air, grab hold of his light, and pull it down to our Tajikistan, to his Tajikistan. Yes, it is his Tajikistan. My heart echoed Isaiah the prophet, beating, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Yet the frost remained all around us. But what is frost compared to the gospel? What is frost compared to the gospel? Shadows, Istanbul. Some maintain that in every culture, God has placed redemptive analogies or providentially placed bridges from that particular culture to the gospel. In many cultures, you have to search diligently to find them. But in the Muslim world, they lie in plain sight upon the surface. For example, every year across the entire Islamic world, the Muslim people celebrate what the Persians call Idi Korbon, and the Turks know as Korbon Bayram, the holiday of sacrifice. But whatever it is called, they are all commemorating the same history, the story of Abraham placing his son on the altar and God providing the ram as a substitute. Echoing Hebrews, when I share the gospel with Muslims, I often describe the relationship between the Old Testament and New in terms of shadow and reality, explaining how Jesus, the Lamb of God, was the substitute, not just for one boy, but for everyone, and how in the fulfillment of the shadows in Christ, the need for sacrifice ceased. But the sacrifices continue, And I wrote the following in Istanbul during Korbon Bayram, the holiday of sacrifice in 2012, which fell that year right before Advent. So here I am reflecting on the shadows of Christmas surrounding the Turks. So this is an excerpt from Advent Reflections Among Muslim Sacrifices. Quote, Festivity held the night air buoyant. As a foreign Christian, I had passed the fall day normally enough, meeting with some new Iranian contacts to discuss the gospel. Despite the early darkness that usually quickens the step towards home, the late fall night was warm and strangely leisurely for me, a foreign pedestrian pressed and nestled within the Istanbul holiday bustle as I stepped off the boat at Uskedar Pier." Bosphorus waters frothed and rhythmically lapped our boat against the dock as if to encourage the departing passengers on in our merry journeys. The innumerable mass of Turks and festal bounce was inspiring. We felt free despite the fact our sheer numbers shortened our strides, breeding a halting claustrophobic motion. It was the night of Corbon Bayram, the the Muslim holiday of sacrifice. With last-minute errands and arrangements complete, The Turks piled onto waiting lines of seemingly endless buses. Last-minute packages in hand, they squeezed onto standing-room-only transport. Standing, they pressed close enough to memorize the moles and pores of their busmates. Yet nothing dampened the resiliently joyful mood of Corbon Bayram, not the immediate difficulty of expanding ribs to take in breath, nor even the descending death and heavy blood flowing over each and every assembled neighborhood again, just as it had the year before, and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that. As I scanned the Turks' faces with verses from the book of Hebrews in my mind, I could see no suggestion that they might be worried about the futility of having to offer the same sacrifices again the following year. No, this was blood sacrifice's party, and every celebratory sequel aroused joyful expectation. There is no need to hope or search for an end to a cycle you love, no waiting for an advent. Perhaps the growing stench as more and more animals were brought in from the country during the several weeks leading up to this holiday was unavoidable. But limiting the sacrificial sites to car washes and special slaughtering markets helped contain the post-holiday rot and bones. For if even a small percentage of 15 million people are concurrently interested in doing an animal sacrifice, clearly some arrangements must be made. And remembering back to carcasses I had stumbled over in an empty Istanbul field at the end of our street, I could see the wisdom in regulation. Still, I'm not sure if Noah and the other patriarchs would have recognized a car wash as a proper altar. And more importantly, did God... Earlier that day, looking out the window as my bus traveled downhill toward the pier, I had noticed an, old, an older Turkish man calming his massive beast, no doubt made nervous by the bewildering traffic. The waiting animals lacked the sense to interpret the scene before them, men skinning a massive cow secured by a heavy hook and chains dangling by its hind legs as one of the car wash workers hosed the blood toward the grates. It was good the animals did not understand, but do we... What is sacrifice? Is it another good work to place on the meritorious side of our life scale to tip it down away from punishment and toward reward? No, it is shadow. As the book of Hebrews explains, a shadow of good things to come. A shadow like the blood over the doorway as God's judgment passed over. A shadow like the high priest sprinkling blood on the atonement cover to overspread the ark, to sprinkle the space between the sinful and God's holy presence hovering above them. It is a shadow that, like the law, was intended to shut our mouths, open our eyes, and prepare our hearts for repentance in Christ. Standing before law and grace, we have a choice to embrace the shadow as our self-justifying end or to see through the shadow to Jesus who sets us free. Freedom came with the long-expected child, For the death of centuries of shadows never tore and will never tear the veil. And it was as if the star that announced his birth cast a shadow of a cross upon the ground he descended to touch. A shadow that at some prophetic level and by their gifts the wise men understood. Expanding light, Los Angeles. So as I urged at the beginning... Please do not lose track of the light. Yes, sometimes the light seems tenuous, as fragile as the birth of the light of the world in a manger. But his glory is expanding. And it is with great joy to be here this morning to testify that God is moving powerfully among the Persian peoples. Again, according to several sources, Iranians are the fastest growing church in the world. And in the past few years, personally, I've observed more and more of their Afghan cousins following to see for themselves. Both in Istanbul and Los Angeles, the Persian churches continue to thrive. Uh, And in Greece and the country of Georgia and other places, I have visited Persian churches. The same is true. So it's, I think, important to reflect on this interplay between the light and darkness in order to prayerfully consider our personal response Along those lines, I wrote the following last year from here in Kansas City, reflecting on a Christmas celebration we had had the year before in Los Angeles at Kilisoye Fais, the Iranian church that I co pastored there for a few years. Quote Hear the heart of Paul, Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for i could wish that i myself were cursed and cut off from christ for the sake of my people those of my own race i have always loved the mysterious shadows and moods of christmas i remember christmas eve services lights dim to prepare a place for the advent candles to shine at home gathering around the dark table anticipating lighting the symbolic candles pondering The trembling fragility of the light of the world become flesh. As John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen and amen, but even as the irrepressible, victorious light grows within and without, the sorrow remains. Last Christmas at Grace Iranian Church in Los Angeles, we introduced a new tradition. Amid the darkness of the church... Pastor Ara and I lit candles and spread the light from person to person until we could see the whole church radiating in that same trembling light. And trembling is right, I think. Not because darkness and death have any hope of final dominion. No, they are swallowed up in his resurrected victory. But to see the face of each Iranian and Afghan believer holding up their light, knowing that each of them groaned to God inwardly for their own family, race, and country, brought on the familiar mix of sorrow and joy that is every Christmas. We long for his kingdom and his return, and it pains us deeply as we long for the whole world to be as ready and receptive to his fire as the Los Angeles foothills. In Tajikistan, I can remember echoing Isaiah's prayer, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. As I struggled to let the fruit of the spirit lead within me amid this sorrow, I would read the parables in Mark chapter four, learning and relearning to hold tight to his eternal providence, letting the source of the power of the inevitable harvest lead me to rest. In this fall, in Athens, Greece, and Tbilisi, Georgia, I was again reminded of the powerful wind of the Spirit blowing where it will. And as I stood in half a dozen Persian churches between both countries, all I could do was smile and wonder at the spreading glory of his grace among the Iranians and Afghans. This Christmas, I hope our heart mirrors Paul's mirror Paul's that we would be sorrowful yet always rejoicing as we grow in our ability to focus our attention on the light of the gospel and to learn to walk with passion and resilience. We have been given good news. The light of the world has lit our souls and we have been told to go and spread the light until at last. Only his light remains, and there will be nothing tremulous about it. Radiating glory, our high calling to shine. Uh, This would be points of application. Um, As I was thinking about points of application, I came up with these two. The first one is just to be thankful for the gift of Christmas. That I think sometimes, unfortunately, because we're so used to it, unlike these new Afghan or Iranian believers, Uh, it doesn't impact us the way it should. And so first, it is God's will for us to be joyful, prayerful, and ever-thankful people, to be so thankful that we shine. Thankfulness for the gift of Christmas, for the gift of Christ, is supposed to mark us as the people of God. Gratitude is our response. It is how we shine. And as we cultivate it, this gratitude, we will glow more and more. So let us then exercise our obedience and become a truly thankful people. That's application number one. Second application, I'd like to share a verse and encourage all of us to shine brightly until the day when there will no longer be any night and no need for lamps or even the sun, for he himself will be our light. But in this time that we live this already but not yet with darkness still surrounding us let us be faithful to shine. So this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 which if you're familiar with that passage it's remarkable Paul is actually comparing our ability to shine as believers in Christ with Moses And saying, in conclusion, that our ability to sustain and grow in a manifestation of God's glory is superior to what Moses had. So verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's increasing, just as from the Lord the Spirit So this then is the conclusion as to why each of us, if we would put away lesser things, order our affections, and rivet our attention on our Savior, then incredibly we can shine brighter than Moses. But do we actually believe that? The prerequisite is faith, Faith to believe Jesus wasn't just exaggerating when he said John the Baptist was the greatest of those born of women, but each of us, the least in his kingdom, is greater than he. Do we believe that? Yes, our salvation is secure, and even our sanctification through him who has begun the good work in us and promised to complete it. But we do have real choices about whether we will radiate his light to our family, to our friends, to our city, to our nation, to our world, or not. Ashley and I certainly have felt over the past 20 years grossly inadequate to shine for Jesus. But it isn't about us. It isn't about any of us. It's about Him. John the Baptist was great because of his intimacy with the Savior. Jesus made him great. And we are greater still, for on this side of His resurrection, we can radiate His light by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can shine. Do you believe that? We can shine and you can shine. And he asked that we would. Christmas light can grow. Christmas light can grow among the Persians. Christmas light can grow among us. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine. Don't settle. Don't be distracted by lesser things. Don't be ambitious for yourself or your own glory. Be ambitious for his glory and shine for him. It's our highest honor as believers. So again, we're just so thankful for Hillcrest, for this opportunity to come and share this morning, um, for your local shining that has allowed us and um, equipped us to be able to go a little bit further out um, in our um, adventures to shine his his glory further out among the Persians. Um, But together this morning, let's remember these two points of application for this coming year to be thankful people, and to be people that shine passionately for his glory. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, sometimes we do feel like Gideon's 300, insignificant in the dark, our tiny torches hidden within pitchers before an army. It's always been this way, and it's just how you love to show your glory through our weakness may you move in our hearts and by your grace always and increasingly add each of us to your 300 may we break our pitchers blow our trumpets and hold your gospel forth in your mercy continue to grant us this our highest honor thank you for your work among the persians thank you for the incredible growth of the gospel among them in our own lifetimes thank you for your work among us thank you for your incredible grace Let us shine for the glory of your name and come Lord Jesus, fill the whole world with your glory, with your light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.